This is the extra mile. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Extra Mile. I'm Caleb Spear along with G5. The G5, and we're broadcasting, if you will, this time from the children's home right here in Lubbock, Texas. This is the actually new home facility for the Extra Mile. That's right, new studio. Uh, yeah, that makeshift background for you. Hopefully, as we produce more episodes here, we'll be able to just make this place a little lively for you guys watching and for you guys listening as well. Yeah, from our church, the Malkiav COC here in Lubbock. A lot of Christians from there. We're going to be in the future, near future, really heavily involved here at the Lubbock Children's Home. Yep. Between our care groups and the teen care group, and and so on. Um, and we just thought, with that topic in mind, when it comes to uh, just the Christian life in action, we thought that's where we'd go in this episode briefly. That's right. We also just want to give a shout out and say thank you to the uh, Children's Home for letting us have this space to be able to record as well. Yeah, they've been really they've been. accommodating. They're excited to have us on here and excited for us Christians to be involved uh, with what they're all about here and Absolutely. showing Christ in our lives and helping uh, kids in need. But what does that look like in our day-to-day lives, putting that into practice? Yeah, that's, that's the real question. That is the real question. And some of, some of you know, some of this may be surprising, but this definitely has to do with the word that you hear all the time, very ambiguously is the word religion. I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word religion? At least for you, George. Oh, man. Good stuff and bad stuff. Uh, yeah, it probably depends on your background, if you have right. a positive, negative, or neutral feeling when you hear that word. I think if I had both. I, mean, I think of the neighboring church kind of down the street from us, uh, Church Without Religion. They just changed their name. Yeah, they realize. Um, I think of them because it's a name that stands out. Um, yeah, and for the church like that, their perspective is religion is just about, you know, it's like a, it's a lot of people here, at least in the Christian community, the Pharisees when they hear yeah, religion. Yeah, I'd assume so from what their what their title says. Right. Um, but then other times they just think of you know, what the Bible says and James, um, just looking out for others, um, having a, a pure and, and loving heart for your neighbor. Yeah. Um, something that really struck me, I think I learned my freshman year at the Bible college I was at was that the word religion in the new Testament, I'm going to, I think is only used five, maybe six times. Mm -hmm. And it's used in a negative sense every single time, except for one. Really? And it's in James one. A lot of those Jesus, he does. He talks about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't say religion is bad. He says the way you're doing it is you perverted it and made it about yourself and these rules and regulations without really a relationship with people, let alone, you know, God. Right. Um, I think people have this negative connotation with it because you hear conversations all the time where it's like, oh, are you religious? And they're at the, and it's like oh, they have to go, yes, and it's just a disappointing thing. Yes, I'm religious. People think religion and they think organized religion and like fancy church than, buildings and rituals and all kinds right, of stuff right, which in a like sense that. it does encapsulate it but it's it's much more than as you and i would say sitting in the pew on sunday morning right um james one has a lot going on in it famous verses in verse 19 know this my brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to hear that more. Mm-hmm. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And here's another famous one, James one twenty two. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's a religion that's scary. The pharisaical one. I got the rituals for the right reasons and right methods at the right places at the right time. But if my heart is really not there and I'm not actually doing out in the world, I'm horrifyingly enough deceiving myself. A very scary place to be. Or others even. could be deceiving others. That's also true. Um, And so it talks about the mere example. But if you go down to verse 26 of James 1, if anyone thinks he is religious, here's one of the times the word religion pops up, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, and there's self-deception again, this person's religion is worthless. So, again, tying in with how we speak, mm-hmm. we'll show if we're spirit-filled or not. And then verse 27, here's the one verse in the New Testament where religion's positive. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mine even says to care for, and I think that just really shows the love mm-hmm. that we have, um, that we shouldn't have for them. Yeah. And this is a generic, this could apply to other groups of people as well, but this is a generic statement that even Levitical law would try to get at is Christians ought to be interested in helping the neediest of people. Um, you know, Jesus also talks about this was saying, Hey, when you prepare, you know, a feast, you know, when you do something nice to someone, Jesus essentially saying, uh, don't give it to someone hoping for the, you know, good, deed done back in return. You know what I'm saying? Right. You said Levitical law and Leviticus Mm -hmm. 1918, you must not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Mm. Love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's going to take us to Luke chapter like nine and 10. Yeah. And uh, the, the scripture, I just pulled it up. Now I was referring to is Luke 14 was saying, hey, you know what? When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't just invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors thinking you'll be repaid, but invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Absolutely. There's some sowing and reaping happening there. I mean, that just shows humility too. If you're going to care for anyone, you have we have to have humility um, in our lives, and we have to be humble. Otherwise, we can't get down to that level to care for them. Mm, yeah. And speaking of humility, even Jesus' own disciples, the 12, the apostles, especially when they're starting out in their ministry, sure. like all of us, and still constant battle, I think, for most of us, struggled with humility, struggled with pride. They sure did. Yeah, a bunch uh, of amazing things happen in Luke 9. Jesus is feeding thousands. There's a transfiguration. Jesus, or Peter confesses Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. All this is going on, but then, what is it? Read verses 46 to 48 of you got it. Luke 9. Now an argument started among the disciples as to which of them might be the uh, the greatest. Hmm. But when Jesus, is the, when Jesus discerned their innermost thoughts, mm. he took a child, had him stand by his side, and said to them, Whoever be- welcomes this child is my in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you is the one who is great. Mm. 
that's pretty mm-hmm. pretty powerful that we talk about people John 13 talking about God and flesh Jesus washing feet coming to not be served but to serve is what Jesus says of himself and you want to be the greatest you need to be the least and it's amazing that the disciples here in this kingdom perhaps they're thinking we were talking about this before the podcast they're probably thinking of a more physical messianic overthrow Rome type idea sure where's my position going to be in this kingdom right right and you get that argument often um, you know can I sit at the right hand of the throne of, of God yeah um, other passages yeah and Jesus goes on in Luke 9 talking about the cost of following him and picking up the cross. Um, but then there are people in Samaria who reject him, and that's where he gives the nickname, the Sons of Thunder, when they're like, <laughs> they're like, Jesus, they rejected you. Do you, you want throw us? fire down. Yeah, let's <laughs> throw fire down on them. It's um, a little, little much. And then you get like the limited commission and, and all of that. But in Luke chapter 10 now, just giving you guys some context, it's really amazing that even the 12 were arguing, hey, who's going to be the better follower of Jesus, essentially? Right. Who's, who's going to be the best? Is a pretty well-known parable, a parable of the Good Samaritan. Absolutely. It's found in Luke 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. Um, yeah, read that. Read through like verse 28. It says, Now an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you understand it? And the expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man is going down. And then he goes on to explain the the parable. Yeah, let's stop right there. There's a lot right there. Mm -hmm. Um, you should want to inherit eternal life. Great answer. Jesus tells him, you've answered correctly, uh, loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this this is talking about religion that could be worthless right here. I can do even some of the right things, and certainly here I can say the right things. He gave the right answer. Jesus, the Son of God, said, correct. You know, you got it right. Um, he studies his law. He even showed that he looked at Leviticus 19.18. It reminds me some in, I think it's Luke. No, it's not here as well. But like the rich young ruler, he's someone who kept the law his whole life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, like you saw with the disciples, can perceive hearts, minds, really scary and amazing. Um, but this guy, I love what verse 29 says. ESV says this lawyer, after he hears this, loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God, number one, uh, number one, love God. Number two, love others. But desiring to justify himself, ask Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Essentially, he's like, well, who, to whom do I really have to consider my neighbor? Because, you know, we're going to talk about it. The Samaritans are hated. Uh, Gentiles are hated. The Romans are hated for all sorts of reasons. They don't believe the same things we do. They've perverted the law, they think, or they're persecuting God's people. There's all a big list of reasons of why I shouldn't have to serve and care about. It's possible about. he's looking for an answer that's like, oh, well, only your Jewish fa- family. Or right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, rabbinic writings would go so far to say that was the case. Some of them in history would go on to write that, basically saying, hey, 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 you don't have to worry about your enemies. Of course, Jesus famously talks about, <laughs> I think we talked about recently, loving our enemies with what's happening in, uh, in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. And that That's... That's the hard thing. What I love about this parable, though, is that honestly, Jesus should 
Jesus should be the reason for our behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, he should be what determines our behavior and not ourselves. And if we're humbling ourselves, well, that will definitely be the case. Yeah. How would you summarize the Good Samaritan story? Basically, people who think they're better than the person that got injured. So someone right. is injured. And then these people who you would expect to help, uh, and the Pharisees, um, and then uh, the priests. The priests, thank yeah. you. Going to the other side of the road. They want to get near them. You would think... Maybe they're worried about getting unclean because he's bloody and they might be going to or from the temple. But they're religious, and you would expect them to do something about it. But also they're not humbled as well. But the shocking thing in the story is a good Samaritan, which from the Jewish point of view or perspective, a good Samaritan is like an oxymoron where, you know, it's like, they can't be good. Like they're Samaritans and it's their mindset, a really bad one. Um, But the thing is, Sometimes to help people, actually probably most of the time, there is a cost of varying degrees, not just in time, but your resources and your money. And think about it. Like this guy, let me pull up my text again. He takes care of him. He gives a couple days wages to the innkeeper. Mm -hmm. Like he spends a decent chunk of money. He goes the extra mile. Yes, he does go the extra mile. He spends a decent chunk of money to help this stranger, this random guy, beating up on the side of the road and Jesus asked him, Hey, who was really the neighbor to this guy who was beaten up by the robbers in verse 37 of Luke 10, uh, the lawyer, the, the law expert says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, let this be spoken to us. You go and do likewise. Right. Um, I hope we're not looking to justify ourselves when it comes to opportunities to do good, as Galatians 6.10 says, to all people, especially the household uh, faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, but often I see sometimes people in need or in trouble, and it's easy to um, pick what's easy. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, well, that looks like that's a lot of work, and so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to drive by. Yeah. Um, when really it shouldn't be about how much work we put in. It should be about the person that we're helping. I love that Jesus sees our innermost, you know, heart, as it said back here, our thoughts, as it says there in verse 47 of chapter 9. And it really shows what Jesus is looking at, not yeah. the titles or labels that we put on each other. What's scary is this attitude of trying to justify oneself, I really think isn't going to be any different in Judgment Day come the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but like who you are essentially in this life, I know we sin and we'll be perfected and and glorified in the resurrection, but who we are in this world is, you know, same person is going to be judged in the resurrection and the second coming. You you think of Luke, again, more Luke, but Luke 16, uh, Lazarus and that rich man who hated Lazarus. Even in Hades, the rich man views Lazarus as his servant. He says, send Lazarus to go warn my brother. Send Lazarus to give me a drop of water. He's the same guy right? Uh, in the afterlife as he was you know, here in this fallen world. Uh, same thing in Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats. Um, it's not just the sheep, the good ones, uh, the ones who follow Jesus, who cared about the poor and the needy, gave him, you know, uh, they asked, Lord, when we do all these things to you. But then the the goats, the ones who didn't care for people, they also call Jesus Lord. They have the same view of him. Mm. You know, there's the same connection of, oh, yeah, we know he's Lord. And Jesus essentially in Matthew 25, to really paraphrase in Caleb terms, is like, am I, though, like, 
am I your Lord? Because you guys didn't do anything that matched this changed life supposedly you're claiming to have. Really scary. Right. And if we're changed, are we going to follow up with action? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell this story here. It doesn't put me in a very good light, but I'll tell it anyway. I was headed to uh, one of our meetings, and I was with Stan. He's one of the deacons. Shout out to Stan. And uh, he would pick me up, and we were driving, and this guy was stuck on the road, and his battery had died, and traffic was backed up, and it was on Milwaukee, which is a pretty busy road, if people don't know. And it, I just thought we would wait for traffic to go by and then, then pass him because we were stuck behind him. Right. Um, but Stan straight up pulls up to him and asks, asks, hey, what do you need? Can we help? Yeah. And I, a very bad person, didn't want to do that because... <laughs> Milwaukee, being as busy as it was, did not want to push this car across the street into, across the street into this, this parking lot. Uh, just I wasn't humble enough to be able to do that. I was embarrassed. But Stan straight up, you know, forces me to do this, and we, we push this car and, and help this man out who who's struggling, even though it made us late for the meeting or made us look, you know, strange. We went the extra mile and and, and helping him in a tough situation, and that was a learning experience for me. And uh, oftentimes we can find we can find encouragement and our our uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and that was a there was an opportunity when we run into these places, helping someone push their car, jumpstart their car, the right. homeless on the street, uh, wherever it may be, is not just an opportunity to do good, right? Good works must glorify right. our Father in heaven. There must be somewhere in that conversation acknowledgement of God, of Jesus, as right. to why this is happening in the message. He has to be the reason for our behavior, which goes back right. to what was mentioned earlier. Right. And you know what? And Paul talks to those who have lots in First Timothy 6, who materially have a lot as American Christians. I think most of us do. And he said, look, you need to be rich, not in your stuff, you need to be rich in your good works because mm. you have extra resources. You know, Jesus, more Luke, Jesus says in Luke 12, much is given, much will be required. And we need to take that to heart. Uh, but this is, if you view it as burdensome, we've, you know, we've missed out on the joy of knowing Jesus and are really misunderstanding what this is all about. Um, and that would require, again, Jesus who knows the heart, some heart examinations, because that's what's happening in Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats. Jesus understood it was about the people. Right. He understood it was about the people. And it should be our business to do the same thing. Right. Well, um, I think that's about a wrap. You got I anything, think so. You got anything else to add on in there? I, I, think that's, I think that's good. I hope you guys find encouragement with that. Um, as you guys continue your walk in, in Christ. Yeah, and right now we've had a lot of sermons locally at Milwaukee. I'm talking about, hey, tell people the good news about Jesus, whether it's using the church cards you have or an opportunity. Uh, don't separate the good works and the message, the good news of Christ, Him dying and Him resurrected for our sakes. Let's tie those two together because religion that's pure and undefiled is to look out the neediness of people. Yep. In the previous chapter, Jesus literally says, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to be doing. And we encourage you to go get involved, all you Christians, to get involved there listening, get in your own community, and to go and be a light. That's right. All right. I think that's a wrap. That's Thank a you. wrap. Go so.